there's also this sense of being reminded how much you like the person you've decided to spend your life with yes. more than other people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're like, oh yeah, you are less shitty than the average person. <laughs> Welcome back to Dear Shandy, listeners. Hello, Andy. Hello. How are you today? I'm doing just great. Just great. And that yeah. might be because we have a very exciting and distinguished guest yes, today. Yes, Her resume is so long that I, I encourage everyone to just get comfortable. Prepare. Where did you get this long-ass resume from? Now I'm embarrassed. <laughs> What's crazy is I actually cut a lot of stuff because I was like, maybe that's not relevant enough. Like it, there was just so much to choose from. You are just, you know, so accomplished. Anyway. Just let us brag about our guest and, and just deal. Okay. Yes. So our guest today is the illustrious Shan Boudram, who is a certified sexologist and sex and intimacy educator who conveniently just so happens to also have her BA in psychology, which I think is just so handy dandy. She is the host of the massively successful Lovers and Friends podcast and the new Hung Up podcast. And she also has a wonderful YouTube channel, which I enjoy on the regular called Shan booty. She is the best-selling author of 2019's Laid, Young People's Experiences with Sex in an Easy Access Culture, and most recently, earlier this year, The Game of Desire, which is basically dating school in the very best way. Highly recommend if you feel like you need a step-by-step guide to how to date, flirt, attract, but also learn what might be repelling people you don't want to repel. She has over 35 million YouTube views alongside her mainstream coverage across ABC's The View, MTV, The Steve Harvey Show, CNN, The New York Times, Entertainment Tonight, City Line, The Rachel Ray Show, Forbes, and Time Magazine. And she is an ambassador for the AIDS Healthcare Foundation and womenshealth.gov. And she is a member of the American Sexual Health Association. And not that this is relevant, but this is a very Canadian thing to do. She's also Canadian, as am I. So yes. I just like to point that out. <laughs> you should have led with that. Yeah, that's we're it. actually going to start listening. They were the like, rest boring. is unimportant. <laughs> yeah, once you say Canadian, everyone's like, oh, now I care. <laughs> and yes, she and her husband, Jared, live in L.A., and they are the parents to two beautiful daughters. Very recently, they had their second daughter last month. So we're just so thankful that you made the time. Mm. I, we're in awe that you made the time. Thank you so much for joining us today, Shan Boudram. Yes, I'm popping up the cake top list. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so today we want to talk about sex in relationships. The main theme, the reason I was really zeroing in on you and wanted you to come on was to talk about something that comes up a lot on our podcast. We answer questions from our listeners, the Shandies, from the perspective of a happily married couple. But a recurring theme over the two years that we've been doing this has been mismatched libidos. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I don't I don't feel like we're super qualified to take that on. And so I've been looking for you for a long time to take this on with us today. But before we get into that, I would love to have you just introduce yourself a bit. We want to get to know you. Tell us a bit how and why you became a sexologist. And for anyone who isn't familiar, could you just define sexology so that we're all on the same page? Yes. Well, a sexologist is to sex what a nutritionist is to food. And so essentially it's the study of how sexuality interacts in our life and with our life from the vantage of psychology, biology, sociology, and sexologists work in a variety of different ways. They can work as therapists, they can work as counselors, they can work as curriculum writers, um, they can work in research. I happen to work in media, so I best describe myself as a public facing expert what I do for a living is I teach people to be more confident and thus more competent in the bedroom and beyond. I refer to myself as Dr. Ruth meets Rihanna, but I'm on the phone with Canadians. So I'll say Sue Johansson <laughs> meets Rihanna. Like that's kind of my, my shtick here. And I got involved in this space when I was 19 and 37 now. So quite some time ago. And when I began, it was really under the mantra of there's so much great, incredible, life-changing information out there through research and academia about sex and love and how to have a better chance at having a great sex life and a great love life. However, it's boring. It's dry. It's monotonous. Mm -hmm. And I made a realization that sex ed is, in essence, bad sex, right? It's predictable. It's faceless. 
it's dry. You can't wait till it's over. You're thinking about your laundry list while you're doing it. But if you brought some life to it, some juice, some sass, all the things that we love about sex, sex ed can really sing. And so I wanted to be that singer. And mm. the way that I got involved in this space, uh, you know, that many years ago was just having a really negative sex life, having gone through all of the checkmark bad teen sex experiences and having not had orgasms and not been loved and not feeling loved and not experiencing self-love as a result of all of these misfires at intimacy, I, as a last ditch effort, got a library card. And again, it was through forcing myself to get formally educated because I went to a Catholic school and I wasn't getting information there. Mm-hmm. And my parents, although incredible and, you know, really great parents in the realm of sex and love and all that, they were really hands off. So I didn't have a formal guide. And if it wasn't for me thinking to myself, well, God damn it, can, can the library help me? I don't know where I would be today. So the reason I got involved in this space is that I wanted to be that bridge for other people to the person who felt isolated and lonely and like a loser of their own love story. Um, If that person wasn't going to go through the experience of self-educating that I did, could I be a person that they would find out there in the world, in the mainstream world that would inspire them to really get activated in this part of their life and to believe in their own love story and their porn story or whatever it is for you that would make up a great sex and love life. And I started on that mission, like I mentioned, you know, 17, 16 years ago. And I feel like today that perfectly describes what I do for a living. And along that path, um, I engaged in various forms of education. As you mentioned, you know, I have a BA in psychology. I'm pursuing my master's in psychology right now. I was certified as a sex education counselor at U of T. They had a CE course there years ago that I did. I got um, certified as a sexologist at a school here in San Francisco, and I got my associate in sex education. I'm now pursuing my ASEX certification as a sex educator as well. So it's an ongoing learning process, um, learning and loving the work that I do and loving the impact that I get to have in people's lives and trying to make it fun, juicy and sexy along the way. Ooh, oh, my wow. goodness. That was an answer. So somehow throughout <laughs> that whole answer, she managed to plug libraries. <laughs> <laughs> Support your local libraries and yes. then you get Shan Boudreau. That's a great takeaway. Okay. Wow. Great answer. I feel like you just, you just made us all, yeah. you know, sit up a little straighter. Uh, quick question. Since you touched on the psychology of it, is having that undergrad in psychology a precursor for becoming a sexologist or is that just like a, a happy coincidence in your case? I'm just curious. I mean, it depends on what you do with it, right? Um, if you wanted to work as a therapist, obviously it is. And so if you want to be a licensed therapist who also is a psychologist, a sexologist, so there's absolutely many different veins and ways to go about it. I work in media. I don't work one-to-one with people. I don't prescribe, I don't diagnose. So no, I don't need to be licensed. I wouldn't need that particular formal education in that way. Um, I just really like what I do and I love learning about it. And I want to see how far this thing can go. And I don't want to limit myself. And because you know how media goes here today, (laughs) gone tomorrow. So I'm just making sure that I get to continue in this field in some capacity, I think is great. I mean, for now, as as a media worker, no, it's not necessary, but it definitely is helpful. All right. That was just... That was just a personal question. It wasn't on my list. I was just, when you touched on the psychology, I was just curious. Okay. So we're right away going to get into the most commonly asked questions. So what happens with these hot topic episodes when we have on experts like yourself is we pull our listeners and we don't say who it is and all the questions are anonymous and we just let them, we're basically the messenger to ask you personal questions that maybe they're a little too shy to ask themselves. And like I said, this has been a common theme over two years and it was certainly like 90% of the questions were this. How does a couple navigate mismatched libidos? And I know this might not be as simple as like, oh, this is how, but do you have any tips? Absolutely. I I don't think it's a coincidence that this is the most popular question that you guys started two years ago, because I do believe that this became so much more prevalent in people's lives during the pandemic. Mm. And the conversation around sex drives and libido and how couples can navigate a space where people have very different needs or stress responses really came up during this time. Obviously when we're bored in the house, you know, um, and we're going through this thing, some people wanted to have sex every single day and some people had no interest at all. And so I believe that it's relevant and it makes perfect sense as to why your audience is plugged into Mm -hmm. it. And you've been hearing about it for two years. Cause I feel like I've been talking about it for two years. 
and we'll probably have to talk about it for 2000 years because it's a real thing that happens yeah. in relationships. I think it's also very important to note that incompatibilities happen in general, right? There's financial incompatibilities, there's religious incompatibilities. We get over, there's no way we get involved with people who are identical to us. I mean, similarities is the, you know, when they have that old adage that opposites attract, psychology tells us the opposite. The more similar people are, the more likely they are to be together, stay together um, and want to be together and enjoy the experience of it. But that to be said, even if you guys are similar on tons of different areas, like, let me ask, like, what's your guys' major incompatibility that you're like, oh, this is the area that we have to really like work (laughs) to make it jive. Wow. No one has ever asked us that before. What what is it? I mean, I would say maybe like house cleaning is one big one. And maybe I would probably say also this, like just who wants to have sex more? You want to have sex constantly, just every (laughs) minute. Sex, sex, sex. I can't deliver that much. I'm one man. Yeah. No, he wishes. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, No, it's the other way around. But uh, I think that that's pretty common. But I would say that is probably it. Yeah. Considering we are, we have everything not everything, but many things in common. We are similar. She doesn't like, like horror movies. And I do. <laughs> and it's a problem. And that could be your deal breaker, right? Like yeah. that could be the top of your list of things that you're like, oh, if you can't enjoy this, then I can't enjoy you. Um, but yeah, mm. every relationship has to navigate through some form of incompatibility, but we all prioritize what matters to us. And so if you're financially focused, you're obviously going to meet somebody who financially is on the same level as you. And so uh, sexual incompatibility is just exact same thing. It's just another detail that could be in alignment or could be out of alignment. And as we know, nothing is fixed and forever. So even if you get together, I always say the story because myself and my husband, you know, we started out, do we swear on this podcast? Yes. Do we not swear? Yeah, yeah. Okay. We started out as fuck buddies. I really think it's important for me to say fuck buddy rather than friends with benefits because he was not my friend. I literally was like, <laughs> I'm on the risk. I'm on the cusp of being deported back to Canada. I was like in such an emotionally shambled place. I just needed a good sexual partner and he was in the same arena. So we were fuck buddies. And so sex is really like what grounded us as a couple, like our desire to have sex, how we wanted to have sex. It's why we came together. It's why we stayed together. But we have definitely gone through massive incompatibilities over the years, and especially as you had kids into the mix. So that to be said, there's no like, oh, we were compatible on this area, and then that was it happily ever after. There's always going to be those rocky times no matter what. But all that to say, this is a long answer to say that the unfortunate thing I think about the incompatibility of sex that just naturally shows up in different relationships at different times is that we've been conditioned to believe that this is the area that we don't have to work on. Hmm. Right. When it comes to chores, you know, yeah, someone's going to be cleaner and someone's going to be dirtier. And there's a difference between a clean person and a tidy person. And we have to find and navigate our ways throughout those various different details. But sex, we're like, oh, if I like it and you don't like it as much, or if I want it and you don't want it as much, then you don't love me or we don't love each other or we're not meant to be together. Mm -hmm. We don't think of it as this thing that we have to work on and be purposeful and mindful of like any other area or detail of our relationships. So Mm. I want to really encourage people to break it apart. There is chemistry that can happen. And chemistry is like myself and my husband had. We naturally came together. We didn't have to work at it. We were just like hydrogen and oxygen. We came together. It fit perfectly. It was this amazing thing. Um, But then there's compatibility. And that's something you have to work on. And that's staying on the same page and wanting to work with each other and wanting to be through the ebbs and flows. And you can have chemistry and not have compatibility. You can have compatibility and no chemistry. You can have neither. But I think being clear about those things can be a really great start and jump off point for what to do next. Okay. When you say pick it apart, let's say compatibility is not your issue. And because I am going down that path. I'm choosing that fork in the road because the theme with the questions was our relationship is great. No complaints. We've been together for years, but in most of the time, and I mean, our audience is predominantly, they are female or identify as female. Predominantly, it was like, it's me. What can I do? I want to be more sexual. I want to give him what he wants. If they're in a straight relationship, I just want to be more sexual. And when you say pick it apart, is there an actionable 
tip that you can give them? I always find that like talking about not having sex is just in my experience in the past has led to having less sex. Mm. So that's, that's been my problem. If if it's brought up, it's like, you know, even if I'm not saying like, we got to have more sex, you know, what's going on here? That's obviously not the way to bring it up. Even if it's brought (laughs) up. With your hands on your hips. Yeah. Like more sex now, (laughs) now 10% more. By next quarter. No, but I'm saying even if you bring it up constructively, it tends to scare it away. Well, it's- would you agree? I can see how that, because the a big part of what makes sex sexy is the mystery. Um, mm. It's the spontaneity. And it's right. also, it's a lot of the thing with the conditioning, right? Like I have that problem a lot in my relationship, any relationship where sometimes it feels like saying the thing ruins it. It's like a birthday gift. If I have yeah. to tell you what I want, when I get the gift, it's like not as special. But it's also a very bizarre ritual that we have where it's like magically guess exactly what I want on a day (laughs) that has a lot of expectation that I'm supposed to be happy on and make a bring a gift that's going to make me happier. It's like, well, (laughs) why don't you just communicate what you want that way? We could do it that way. And there's like less, no chance for a crash and burn experience. So Mm -hmm. I'm speaking from experience because I asked my husband for a push gift for my baby and he got me something. I'm like, that's not what I wanted. And I was like, bitch, why didn't you just say what you wanted so you could be happy? Um, So I think it's along that same line of thinking. That's why talking about it scares it away, but it's not a good healthy place to be from because it's buying into this idea that it's just supposed to magically happen and be there. And if it's not, then that's the problem. Um, That's not the problem. It's, a natural evolution of relationships that there'll be different times based on your, where you're at, what's stressing you out, what your body is doing, how you feel about yourself, if it'll be your partner, that's going to lead to these things. So you do have to talk about it. Um, but if you're out of practice, then I think, yeah, it can feel like, oh, we've ruined it by even saying the mm-hmm. thing out loud. Right. But I do think Andy, to your point, there are more creative ways to talk about it. I always say to people talking about sex should mirror good sex. And when we have, like, let me ask a question. Like, for you guys, adjective wise, what makes sex great? Oh my oh God. We're not used to people asking the hard, ask I need like a week to prepare the answer to that question. <laughs> well, like, juicy, uh, you know, it's wet, like, yeah, it's fun. Just, for me, honestly, it's like I get to be, it's very freeing. I get to be like a complete animal with the woman that I love more than anything. I also really get off on the fact that it's the most direct path to the motherboard of her pleasure system. Like I Ooh. can just go right there and hit the button as opposed to being like, oh, I got you a gift that you don't like. Oh, I made you a dinner that's overcooked. Oh, I give you a back massage. It's not hard enough. You know, all that stuff doesn't quite hit the mark, but I can go right to the button. Mm. And that's the part that honestly, not just with her, but with in general, sex has gotten, I'm a giver in general. I like receiving too, but you know, I give primarily. And I, I got to give you my address because I'm a receiver. So. <laughs> all right. Hold on a second. So it wasn't an open relationship for a proposition for <laughs> gifts, just to clarify. Call, call me. Before Charlene comes and beats me up. <laughs> we'll talk about that after. Um, but but that is that that is uh, now you now you got me distracted. Okay, no, okay so <laughs> I forgot what I was talking about. You cute. can't do that. That was such a cute answer. I like that answer. That okay, was a great so answer. My answer, since suddenly Shan Boudram is interviewing us. <laughs> Is the idea of just being someone else for a while. You know, it's like you get to put a pause, a T.O. on reality and there is an animalisticness to it. You just get to be someone else. Think about something else. And you get to do that with someone who you trust. I mean, that's the holy grail, Mm -hmm. right? Perfect. You guys answered this question way more scholastically than anybody ever in life. Most people (laughs) were like, wet, squishy. (laughs) I like shooting a big load. (laughs) Yeah, but that's exactly. So when we think about those energies, like I can picture exactly that, like freeing, animalistic, pleasurable. I want it to be an experience where I feel like a different version of myself. Like I want to, I want to give space for the freakier or the more submissive, a different side of me to really come out. When we talk about sex, we bring that exact same energy. So instead of it being, if I came and sat down and was like, we need to talk Andy and have a structured dialogue about our sex life and why it's not working. Like that's not going to work because that's counterintuitive to what you even want as the end result. Like it would have to be like, I watched this crazy video yesterday. Like the, t- the couple was going at the group was going at it. It was so incredibly hot. Like watch this. What does this make you think of? Or, you know, remember when we went on that vacation and we did this and that, da, 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 da. that was so much fun. Like what would it have to take for us to get back there again? So the way that mm. we approach the dialogue is less like this isn't working. I don't like this. I don't like that. And it's more like, what do I like out of sex? What do I know my part likes out of sex? 
And how do I make the conversation that we have in line with that versus like completely left of that? Mm. And then talking about sex becomes just as fun as having sex and talking about sex. Not only do we see the benefits of it, but we enjoy the experience of it. So I completely attest to what you're saying that if we have these conversations in very um, cold, very faceless, very direct ways that are not whatever we wanted of sex. Cause maybe if we're into BDSM, we kind of want cold and direct because we're like, no, I want someone to dominate me and sit me down and tell me that I've been shit and I'm terrible and that I need to mm. step up and do better. And that turns me on. So that could be someone's yum, but knowing what your partner likes out of sex, I think really informs how you should approach this conversation. Mm. So let's say you're the one who would be having had that conversation with. So I keep coming back to the person who has the lower libido, who wants to change. Is there, is it just have sex more? Is it just chill out and just go for it? Is can you give some tips in that department? I yeah, only, I'm only hovering on this because it came up so much. Oh, hundred percent. I mean, there's no clean answer to this. Okay. this I, figured I mean, but that's be. not a bad thing. There's hmm. a couple of guideposts. I wanted to say that um, HSDD, which is hypoactive sexual desire disorder is a medical condition. It's a sexual dysfunction. And for people who have frustrating, which is like a really important word to state, if you have frustratingly low sex drive, meaning like you really want to, and when you think about it, like you feel strongly about your partner, you feel like you're in line with your partner, you have an attraction to them. Uh, the kind of sex that you're having with your partner is enticing to you. It's just that for some reason you just can't get activated that's a medical condition to go to a doctor to talk about and to talk about options for you because that is a treatable medical condition. Um, for people who have sex drive that is low, that's not frustrating. Maybe it's frustrating to their partner, but to them, it's just a detail of their life. That's about a conversation to have about how desire is showing up for you or what you're looking for out of an intimate relationship right now. And that's like a whole other negotiation to have you know, with your partner, because sometimes in a world when we're so conjoined, it's hard to really differentiate what we desire from what our partner desires. So I'd say get really clear about that. Um, I know this as for a fact, cause I was just pregnant and I had really, 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 really low sex drive. And it's interesting cause my first pregnancy, I had a high sex drive and my husband was really weirded out by the baby aspect of it. And so he was not interested in having sex. So we were incompatible then. And then this pregnancy, he got over that and he was like, let's go. And my sex drive was like, hell no. Um, so, but I also acknowledged that my low sex drive was not frustrating to me. Like mm. I didn't mind that I didn't want to be having sex and I didn't right. care to anymore. So that was, a. am really glad that I brought that up to him like that, you know, and just said like, this is what I'm going through. This is my experience. Um, I'm not looking to change it. Cause this is where my body feels right right now. How do you feel? What do you want to do? Let's talk about it. So mm. those are the options. Is it frustrating? Like, and it feels like it's like everything else is working, just not this one thing. Let's go to a doctor. Is it not frustrating? But my partner's frustrated. Let me be honest with them, talk to them and see where they're at and see where our middle ground is. And then there's sort of the other space where it's like, I don't think it's a medical condition. I definitely want to be having sex, but there's probably some things that need to change in order to get me in a space where it feels like the next natural step for me. We're just not feeling that right now. Um, and some quick tips I would say is one, I have a quiz called turn on triggers. I think it's really helpful for people. It's kind of like love languages, but for getting turned on, um, the way I describe it is like in most relationships, when you transition from the honeymoon phase into companionate love, um, you stop getting those butterflies naturally. And some people look at that as like a warning sign that things aren't going well. One of my favorite things I ever learned before and I learned a lot of cool things is one of my favorite things, but if we continue to get butterflies and like, just like want to rip our partner's clothes off whenever they walked by or so excited or aroused by everything that we, they do, we would lower our life expectancy because <laughs> it's totally adrenaline agree. dumps to your system. It's okay. breaking down it's, the tissue. It's also unmanageable in a relationship. Yes. Yeah. So. so this thing that we desire, like I remember when we first met, we couldn't keep our hands off each other. Like that is not sustainable long-term. And a lot of psychologists argue that love doesn't actually begin until companionate love starts where it stops being like this thing you have no control over. And now it's an active choice and sexual desire ends up also being in that bucket of having to be an active choice. And so we're not going to get those like, oh, I just can't keep my hands off of you moments. We have to create them and mm -hmm. turn on triggers acknowledges that, that mm. 
Some people, in order to even get into a sexual space, need different activations. So my activation, like if my husband wants to get me turned on, I need really filthy, direct language that speaks to his desire for me, not Mm -hmm. his desire to have sex, not his like what he saw in a movie. I needed to be like, your tits look so incredible. I want to smash them together and da, 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 da. That's what I need. Mm. He needs a clean environment. He needs like, he is so conscious all the time of everything that's around, what music is being played, what, what, what the smells are like all of that. And so if I try to approach him and I'm feeling really turned on, but the environment is distracting for him, it's just not going to work. So get some essential oils quick. (laughs) Right. Like, listen, it's so funny. He is so preoccupied with if other people can see or hear us. It's it's really like, if that can happen, I'm never going to be able to get him in that space. So So he's like the opposite of people who are into that. Like, yes, exactly. And I'm into that. So Uh (laughs) I remember we had sex in this hotel room in uh, New York once. And I was like, let's leave the blinds open. Cause it was kinky for me. Cause you know, New York is a billion people all the time everywhere. And literally it was the worst sex ever because he just (laughs) could not. I was like, this is for me. It's fun. It's role play. We'll never see people again. He just couldn't do it. So That to be said is knowing what your partner's turn on trigger is, what unique elements, get them in a space. Some people are sapiosexuals, you know, where they need a mental activation first, need a conversation. They have to feel like they're at one with their partner before the physical even opens up. So I would Mm -hmm. say, go do my turn on trigger quiz. It's a good introduction to kind of getting in that headspace of like, okay, maybe there's a reason why, you know, I want to be horny, but when my partner comes to me, it's just not really clicking. And then I can communicate to them, Hey, this is my turn on trigger. So when you want to get freaky and you want me to be in the same headspace, please do this first. Um, and that's like an easy first step. I think there's other really great programs out there. My favorite that I've ever heard of before is don't have sex kind of going to the opposite advice of Mm. like, just have sex more. It's masturbate more because I think that when you activate, you know, those feel good chemicals, more bogats, more, Uh, But to create sexual desire, and Esther Perel says this so beautifully, is that fire needs space to breathe. It needs oxygen. Mm, So sometimes, oh, so good. Um, And so one of the best programs I read before about like couples who just can't get in the same page is like take sex off the table. Like you're not going to have sex for a month. And instead, you know, engage in other activities that, you know, spark arousal and spark desire. Huge, huge tip I can say for people especially during the pandemic time that we went through, if you want to spark arousal and desire, leave the house, leave the environment. Another fun fact that I love is that it's not going on dates that really like gets couples bonded. It's going on double dates. And Mm. that's because you see a new side of your partner. And that's what you have to really look for. You have to look for novelty. You have to look for uniqueness. Like you have to search for that spark. And when the two of you know each other so well and you know the environment and you know the positions and you know what they're going to say next, it's really hard to mimic that. Yeah. I can really talk about, this is a long, I could no, I love it. monologue for Fabulous. years. We could listen to you talk starters. about this. Yeah, this I mean, you're good, great at this. Okay, you. And you know, no, I was going to add to that is that I find that, you know, one of the big issues is you start to see your partner as like, they're not a separate person. Your partner becomes yes. just an extension of you. And it's like, you're, you're talking to your arm. You want to have sex with yourself almost. <laughs> And which is fine, but it's not that exciting. Um, yes. But, but the the times that I get turned on, like in a way that I haven't been in a long time with you is when I see you out in the world interacting and I'm like, oh, she's a separate person. She's actually not part of my body. And that's the big turn on. And I'm sure you feel the same about me. And I think that's why, you know, if you take it to an extreme and invite other people in and couples and yeah. swinging and all that stuff, that's the element of that. That's where you're like, you know what, we're going to manufacture this. And the way to do it is to make you a completely separate person. So if someone else is literally having sex with you, I'm like, <laughs> oh, I'm not the only one who's tapping that. Now it's sexy. <laughs> that is 100%. I mean, your double date can just be the keg. It doesn't have to be there, right? Um, but I like where you took it. <laughs> well, what, I, what I like about that, like, obviously it's like, oh yeah, a separate person. You get to see some novelty, see them in a different environment. But there's also this sense of being reminded how much you like the person you've decided to spend your life with yes. more than other people. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You're like, oh yeah, you are less shitty than the average person. <laughs> yes, husband sucks. Yeah. Honestly, you said you could keep going on that question and 
like I said, this I did want to be the focal point of this conversation. So before we move on to another question, could you just off the top of your head for anyone listening and maybe to further convince them to take your quiz, just rattle off a couple more of those uh, triggers that you talked about, the turn on triggers. Yes. Just so if anyone needs to be like, oh, that's me. Desire, which is a direct language. Then there's visual, which are people who it's like they need to be visually stimulated by their partner. So like lingerie or lotioned up bodies. It's it's the body itself that the visual that gets them turned on. There's cat and mouse, which are people who require the chase. And so if they have a partner who's always pawing at them and always initiating, it doesn't leave space for them to like create this push and pull game that they find really erotic. So mm. um, that's always an important one to note for people who have really bad incompatibilities, because sometimes the harder you try and you push, the more that you actually push the opportunities away. And then there's environmental um, then there is just mental, which is like similar to sapiosexual, which are people who it's like, in order for me to feel desire down there, I have to feel connected up here. And then there's the negotiator. And that doesn't sound that sexy, but it's a real reality in many relationships where sex is not that much of a priority to that person, to one person in the relationship, but they can be incentivized in other ways. And so if their partner knows that about them, like finding out what does excite them and what does draw desire to them, whether it be, I'll take the kids to ballet or like I clean the entire house or I put, you know, gas in your car. Um, it's somebody who acknowledges that like, yeah, like maybe sex for you isn't you know as fulfilling for whatever reason as it is for me, but like, here's what I do for you in order to get um, that experience together. And we both feel good about it. Mm, okay. Oh, wow. I, okay. I have two questions based on that. <laughs> I wanted to ask you what you think the line is between maintaining that sex life when you have a low libido, but maybe like, you know, that your partner does these things for you that mean a lot to you. And you're like, I know sex means a lot to you. I'll do that. Where's the line between playing fair like that and having a sort of quid pro quo sense of it all, even if you're not really that interested and just having sex when you don't want to. Like, I, I think that, you know, it's easy for that to spin in a negative direction where it's like, oh, you want sex. I'm giving you sex because you're asking me to, but I don't want to have sex. Does that make sense? Yeah, of course it makes sense. Um, absolutely. I think the way that I want to answer this, I'm not sure if it's the right way, but I think in life we focus a lot on my friend said this to me, it was a beautiful thing of like to-do lists rather than to feel lists. So we're so like caught up on like actions and like accomplishments. And so like it's sex or not sex, or it's like um, degree or not degree or dinner agenda or not dinner agendas versus like to feel like I want to feel really fun and cool and excited. Uh, and I want to laugh a lot tonight. Okay, cool. Let's go to Jen's. Mm, and so I think sense. like in terms of that, like if you focused in on like your to feels in a relationship, like I want to feel understood. I want to feel celebrated. I want to feel worshiped. Um, I want to feel cool. I want to feel desired. I want to feel respected. And then you're like having sex with my partner, knowing that it's not exactly what my body wants, but it's what they want. Um, doesn't really aid in that. I actually feel like I'm betraying myself or I feel really sad or I feel really resentful towards him afterwards, that it's the wrong choice for you. Mm. But if you're like, no, in my relationship, like they prioritize the things that I like. And then as a result, as a thank you, I feel compelled to do this for them because like, this is what they like. It's not my favorite thing. Like we all watch shitty Netflix shows that we didn't really like, but our partners into it. They were like, cool. I, I sat through that <laughs> dumbass show. Oh my God, on Apple TV, it's like where that guy was, I was like, I gotta find the name of it. Everyone loved this show and it was so boring to me, the surrogate or something like that. Um, but anyhow, we all do these things with our partners that were like, this isn't bringing me the most joy, but it works for you. And in, in exchange, I get to sit with you and hang out and chill. And I like that. So don't, I'm not gonna shame somebody who is in a negotiator style sexual relationship if it aids in there to feel. Um, if it makes them feel like less or, it, you know, it doesn't do that. And that's when you have to like press the pause button and say like, this isn't not working. And we have to make some really big changes because no one should ever feel like they owe someone their body. Like that's a terrible feeling. Mm. Mm -hmm. Loved that answer. Uh, what your answer just reminded me of something, a friend, a girlfriend of mine who's been married longer than us said to me years ago, she's like, honestly, I don't always want to have sex with my husband, but I never regret it when I do. <laughs> <laughs> that's bomb. 
Yeah, the honesty of like how uh, the feeling afterwards was a positive one. She was always happy she did it. It was like such a brutally honest thing to say. Okay, and then my Can other I just question- say quickly the the yeah. show is Severance. I couldn't remember oh, it. I, you I didn't like Severance. I, I was worried. So I was worried that you meant Severance, and now I'm going to judge you. So I don't know what boring. to do. I was so mad. Like we got into episode three and the big reveal was like they had, were being forced to say sorry. I was like, this is it. Uh, <laughs> this show is so boring. I feel like you can't. You're going to lose a lot of fans. <laughs> I know. I that's so. why I had yeah. to say it. Cause you're, I know this is like, a polarizing topic. Subscribers going to go down like 20%. <laughs> I know. I feel like you can't relate because your job or your job is so fun or it seems so fun and you seem to love it. So maybe, maybe. you can't relate. I don't know. I thought that that show was so underwhelming and so slow. And like, I don't know. I just didn't, it didn't hit me in the feels. Okay. Um, no, I so <laughs> I had to say it cause I knew that it was polarizing and I knew it would be a good social clip for you guys. So that's all. <laughs> <laughs> Always the content creator. What's funny is the show that came to mind for me as being one that I like to watch and Andy doesn't like to watch is way less highbrow than severance. <laughs> It's, I'm embarrassed to say this, but it's Netflix's Is It Cake? <laughs> and he's like, I don't want to watch this. I'm like, just one more cake. I do eventually get into it. I'm like, that's not cake. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're like all against it. And you're like, well, that one's, that one's the cake. Yeah. That, one's, that one's the cake for sure. So my other question, just because you touched on it sort of in passing earlier where you said, you know, more begets more. Do you believe that the more sex you have, the more sex you want? I believe that there's two camps of thoughts on this. And I've definitely done, you know, like there's the, like the no fap community, for example, that, mm. that there's a whole system that believes that like you give your power away, you give your energy away. There's the ideology even that like don't have sex before a big game or something important because like you want to conserve that energy. But like, I think expending testosterone tells the body to create more testosterone um, I think that, yeah, like when you create pathways in your brain, like we're, we're creatures of habit to do something, your brain wants to do something, um, or it sees how it fits into your life and to create normalcy. So I believe in the scientific community that, um, subscribes to more, but that's more, but there's definitely a camp of people who are more on the scarcity end of things, but I think mm. you check in with your body and see what works for you. I know more from more, but that's more for me. Um, and I know that that works for my partner and many people that I know. But if you are yeah. someone who's like, sometimes the less that I indulge, the more that I crave it, then that could work too. Mm. No, I, I strongly believe the more sex you have, the more you want. Because for me, in my most sexually active days, like it was like a drug. Mm. And the more I did it, the more I needed. And then if I took a big break ever, it was like you stop smoking cigarettes. You know, the first week is really hard and then you forget about it. I, that's actually yes. an exaggeration. I'm sure it's like six months with cigarettes. But <laughs> for all those cigarette smokers, like, no, it's more than a week. <laughs> but uh, no, but you you take a big break and suddenly you're just like, oh, uh, I forgot about that. Like I lost that addiction or, you know, and it's not always an addiction, but you know what I mean? Mm, that like that dopamine craving. or whatever. The, the, I mean, I feel that way about dessert. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, and, it's true. And like even salad. I'm like, I'm going to eat salad a lot this week. And then yes. after that week, I start craving salad. I know that it's a If I don't eat sweets but- for like a whole week, I have no interest in sweets. If I eat one donut, I'll eat the whole box. Forever, <laughs> every day. Every yes. day for the rest of my life, yeah. <laughs> okay, so the other main theme, and of course we got so many questions, and but we're like, we pretty much just put them into broader questions. And so the next one was pregnancy, childbirth, being new mom in, in a household where you're just exhausted at the end of the day. And the last thing you want is sex. Maybe you're not as confident in your body. Do you have any tips? Is it, is it more or less the same as, you know, having a fun conversation and maybe targeting your triggers or is there something specific advice wise that you would say to new parents who, I mean, in some cases, these couples have gone for like a year. They've had a baby and it's been a year and they're both kind of okay with it. And they're like, is this, is this okay? Is this wrong? You know, or maybe one partner does want it. Any advice in that department? Yes. There's two things I want to say. One, time yourself having sex, either record (laughs) it. If you're into that, if you're not into that, just physically time it. Because I think that we all think that sex takes so much longer than it actually does. I was on a show once and they were talking about how long does sex last for the two of you, myself, and my husband were there. And I was like 40 minutes. 
And then I was like, oh, wait, we just like recorded ourselves having sex. Let me look. That, that bad boy was like 12 minutes. <laughs> um, so I was like, oh, it felt like that. So that to be said, sometimes we can like, um, like really just like overwhelm ourselves with how long it's going to take or how much work. And you're like, no, this is really like, could be 10 incredible minutes in your day that increases connectivity, does incredible things for your body. There's an innumerable amounts of health benefits of orgasm. Um, and just makes us feel like we're doing something for ourselves as adults together mm. after a long day of being slaves for very young, uh, very young, very angry people, AKA babies. <laughs> so that might be a nice thing just to kind of get your mind around it. I think a huge thing that I realized when I had a kid that we needed was really long foreplay. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean like 40 minutes of foreplay before our 12 minutes of blissful activity. I mean, like the entire day, like butt slaps and like, you look great or like you're a great parent or like, feeding each other. I don't care what it is, but like you can just get so caught up in the business of life and the business of babying that you feel like glorified roommates Mm. um, or like assembly line workers who are just like side by side, like just doing things very mechanically and dryly. And then you expect at the end of the day to get this burst of desire, like that's not going to happen. Like you have Mm -hmm. to create and foster that all day long. And sometimes it doesn't lead to sex, but it might carry over to the next day or the next week, but just inviting more playfulness, more desire, more like micro sexual moments into your like daily life and routine that take two seconds rather than 12 minutes, I think can definitely help to get you there to the potential um, at the end of the day or midday, depending on when your baby sleeps. Another very popular question. And the last time we asked this question, by the way, was over a year ago when we had a pelvic health physical therapist Mm -hmm. on, wait, pelvic floor physical therapist on, sorry, also pelvic health. Tips on orgasming, especially women in particular who uh, maybe are in their 30s, 40s and have tried with a partner alone. They just. Mm. One, the pelvic uh, health floor expert probably had a lot of great responses. She to that did because yeah. strengthening your pelvic floor is an amazing way to unlock pleasure potential for yourself or just invite more control and understanding of that area in general. So that's probably a pro tip that people, if they invest in that is a really great and smart investment and something that pays it forward for the rest of your life. Um, as someone just had a baby, you know, this is something that I'm dealing with right now too, of just like re-engaging that muscle area and re uh, getting to know it in a different way after giving birth vaginally twice. But I think my go-tos for people in terms of just like inviting pleasure and masturbation, just starting with that as a, a go-to water is a great one either shower heads that have like multifunctions. So you can kind of play around and see like what works for you or some people like a lot of pressure. So turning the faucet on your bath and scooting your butt there and then kind of moving around to see if it hits the spot that you like. Um, I think the water is a really great fun tool for self-play and self-exploration. And you probably got this tip from somebody if you talk to anybody else who like masturbates, but um, the womanizer or any clitoral suction, like the palm from Dame, Like those are sex toys, Tracy's dog, that people who previously thought they were anorgasmic, that they couldn't orgasm, have used those toys and were like three seconds later, we were (gasps) off to the moon. Wait, Um, are you serious? Oh, this is- Tracy's dog? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I was caught up on Womanizer. The Womanizer is definitely, to me, the Womanizer was the first uh, clitoral suction toy that came out and then everybody else made their version of it. I like one by Vush that's called the Empress 2. Uh, that's like a personal use one. It's small. It's a great section. It works for me. And I like it because in partnered play, sometimes the larger mouth ones, if your partner like knocks it with their hand because there's suction, you know, like a, it's a vacuum. So you lose the suction. Um, I like that one for personal use because it's smaller. And so it's less likely to get in the way. And so you can keep it on and get where you need to go with it. But there's tons of different ones out there in the market. But that's just a toy that I know in general, a lot of people are like, I didn't think it was possible. I tried this. It was great. That's a wow. great trivia question. Like <laughs> Tracy's dog, sex toy or children's book? <laughs> oh, for men, for men. <laughs> okay. Next question. Let's say you are with your partner, maybe new, maybe, maybe they're not new, but you want them to change what they're doing, slow down, maybe You want to do it, though, in a sexy way that doesn't kill the mood. Yeah, I think um, yum, don't yuck. Oh, my gosh, I love when you and then you can call to what they were doing before. 
Or my favorite thing is a friend of mine said that like, I know someone did this to me because this guy was like, I love it when you lick my balls and you're going down on me. And she's like, I never did that before. So sometimes <laughs> just the power of suggestion. Like, Wait, what's oh your name? God. Oh, right. Sorry. <laughs> Drives me crazy when you do that. And she was like, okay, he's trying to like cue me in to do that more. Um, but yeah, just accentuate, you know, you can do that verbally or with sound, right? Like hmm. you could just be really quiet when they're doing something you don't like, when they do something you do like, play that hot and cold game, like get a little louder or massage their shoulders, like hmm. reinforce positive reinforcement rather than, you know, telling somebody here's what you're not doing good is mm. always a great first attempt. If the person's not cluing in with it, then starting a conversation around desire leading with curiosity, like what turns you on? Like when I'm giving you head, do you like this or that? I love this or that. I play this or that all the time to this day with my partner. Like, do you like this lick or that like, like this or that? And then hopefully that person clues it and does it on you afterwards. Like, oh, that was fun. And I enjoyed how it felt to like communicate really directly what I like pleasure wise. Let me do that back to my partner. Um, you could also send video. It's an amazing tool, ethical porn that can utilize. Like I watched this video and I thought of you um, that, you know, kind of shows more of what you want. And if you want your partner to get in the vein of doing something that you guys haven't done before, I love saying I had a dream. Like, oh, I had a dream last night that you and me had sex in New York City. We had the blinds way up and the whole city was watching us. It felt like that. It was the hottest thing ever. Um, and your partner's like, oh, cool. Like that's what their sexual fantasy is. And then see if that gets incorporated somehow. So there's like lots of like ways you can subtly hint, but there are times where like you do all of that and the person is just not picking up what you're putting down and you should be more direct. Mm. I feel like if the person isn't picking it up after, the, I mean, yeah, not that after subtle. a while, it's like, maybe, maybe I shouldn't be having sex buses. with you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I would be a little miffed if the person I was having sex with didn't pick up. I want to ask one quick question. This was the original sidetrack question, but I've had two camps of this one. I, I, I had an argument with somebody who's apparently an expert on this, who claims that, <laughs> uh, yeah, I know, but he claims that um, men should restrict themselves from orgasming as much as possible because that is actually the one of the critical elements of good male health as opposed to actually orgasming a lot. And he's, the point he was making was so strange to me that it's hard for me to articulate, but he's just saying that like that sort of releases a lot of stuff that you need and it kind of drains you of the whatever chi. I don't know what he was talking yes. about. But but is there any truth to that or there is there truth to both sides of it? Because like, what if I decided today, like I'm never, I'm becoming celibate. I'm not touching myself, I'm not having sex, or I'm just going to have masturbate every day, have sex two, like every day, two times for the rest of my life. Does it, is there a meaningful difference in health outcome that you know of in your studies? I would say, I mean, this is like a great placebo question too, right? Because mm -hmm. if you genuinely believe that I'm not orgasming, so I have more energy or I'm not orgasming, so I have more desire or my teeth are whiter. Like if you really, really believe that, that probably is going to be your lived experience. So mm -hmm. I've definitely looked into this quite a bit um, because I've done stuff around the no fap or done stuff around like testosterone retention before. And I have not found any like sound evidence or research that says that this is true. I mean, from what I know, the testosterone is like you use it and you create it. And it your body creates as it, as it needs. And like breast milk, you tell your body how much you, you want it to produce. And then sometimes it doesn't work that way. You need supplements or you have to look at other parts of your diet or of your mm. lifestyle. And so I don't have a clean answer to this. I'm not a doctor and I don't have a penis. But I would encourage people um, to just check in with your own body mm -hmm. and then check in to see like, hey, is it is it the is it this that's actually working or is it like my devotion to the belief system mm. that's working? And neither is wrong, because if you feel like you're getting more energy out of not releasing testosterone, then do that. Um, okay. Placebo is a powerful because thing. Because you did say that there are health benefits, proven health benefits from orgasming. So that's why I brought up the question. Yeah, there's incredible amounts. I mean, that I know is true, right? That mm -hmm. like it boosts your immune system and it releases DHEA to make your hair shinier and your skin clearer and you, it regulates your sleep and it can improve your heart health. And so- So if you don't, but if you don't, does it not do those things? <laughs> 
Well, I'm sure there's other ways to go about, like if you don't eat broccoli, there's other ways to (laughs) get what you need from like that particular plant. I like uh, like how you chose broccoli as the comparison to orgasming. That's that's, that's the two most disparate things I can think of. Okay, so I have a question completely shifting gears. By the way, Andy went rogue with that question. That wasn't on the list. It's a great question. You know what? I would, if you have a podcast episode on that, it's a question that... I have been asked a lot, something I've kind of dived into. I think that like my dad, who's somebody who was like, I, you know, he's a medical expert. He was a um, paramedic. He's like gone through times of believing that testosterone retention works. And he's gone through times of being like, if you don't use it, you lose it. So I don't know. I know a lot of people who've kind of been all over the place on the map with that one. So it's a really interesting conversation that I wish I had more clarity on, but I'm still kind of like, I don't know, penis carrier. How do you feel? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't. I I go back and forth. Like sometimes I feel like if I don't for a long time, I feel like I have more. I'm like mentally sharper, and I have more energy, more creative energy. And sometimes I feel like I like I I, I don't know how to articulate this, but I feel like my blood vessels are a little more dilated if I have more orgasms. I don't know whatever <laughs> that means. I feel like a little more like just loose. Mm. <laughs> I'm learning so much about you today. Yeah, Yeah, we could discuss this more. Yeah. Upstairs. Um, So (laughs) thoughts on today's swipe culture. We've talked about this a million times on the Mm. podcast. Yeah. About how there is an abundance, because of internet dating, there's abundance of single women and a sort of a flipping of the game board in favor of men that has not been the case for thousands or millions of years. And oh yeah, and sorry to interrupt, but the, and one of the reasons I just for context for anyone listening, one of the reasons why we wanted to ask you this specifically is because your book is about dating in today's culture. It's definitely targeted at at women or people who identify as women, and it's like taking that control back. And you do talk at the top of the book about how you know, sort of like supply and demand, right? And there is a surplus of single women versus single men, which means that the entire dating dynamic is different. Like you said, there's less monogamy. And so that's where, this is something that we've been talking about for years, but we really want to add in that swipe culture factor here and how men don't really need to chase and how everything's just sort of at the tip of their fingers. Sorry to interrupt, Andy, please continue. No, no, I just, I mean, what she said, but also, you know, when I was a kid, Back in the, you know, the olden days, I used to have to work very hard to meet women. Um, Even when I improved my game to the point where it was, I thought, fairly decent, it still was very hard. I had to do the heavy lifting. Like now, and I saw that I I kind of experienced the very tail end, the sort of that the reverse. I experienced the beginning of when it started. So I had a taste of what it was like to have that advantage. And it was like. I had a nuclear weapon in my pocket every day. Like it was insane. I was like, how is this? This is absurd. This is unfair advantage. Like guys don't have to do anything. You just have to have one cute line. And the next thing you know, you're on a date with a girl. And who's and, most likely out of yeah, the league. <laughs> who's likely had, had to deal with a lot of guys rejecting her inappropriately because in the, in the old days, she would have been a hot item. But now it's like, oh, I could do better than you. You know, I'll just keep swiping. I'll do better. So... I just feel like it's a huge unfair advantage for men and a tremendous disadvantage for women. And that's a dynamic that has shifted, you know, in the last 10 years. It's this big a paradigm shift, I think, in male-female relations since the dawn of man. Like, I can't think of anything more than this. Do you agree? I do agree that it's definitely across the board more difficult. And it is a system, I think, that favors masculine culture, like masculine behaviors more than it does women. Um, And I don't think that that information has to be discouraging. It's just enlightening. It's just important to know like what you're dealing with. Like when you're entering into the job market and you're like, the job market is a little tough right now. And like, here are some of the struggles that that information informs like how you go about your search. Hmm. So I want women to kind of hear that and be like, okay, like, how does this inform the way that I look, how that I look, where I look and what my intentions are, or even how I begin conversations. And that's what the game of desire is really about is like the first few pages. And interesting because I noted this, that like over the pandemic, so many men have started podcasts and they talk about relationships. They talk about dating, but when men are 
expressing their, because there's a lot of men who disagree and they think it's like a really bad culture out there for men be that. And it is true that it's like a very small minority of men who are really benefiting from this culture because it's about looks and it's about like physical attraction and shininess versus like merit and worth and true Mm -hmm. compatibility and similarities. And so there's a large proportion of men who are not benefiting from this because they're not swipeable. Mm-hmm. Um, so and you, you look like you're a tall guy. So, you know, there's a tall, good looking, <laughs> charming person. Yes, it's your candy store. But for another man, you know, who's shorter and doesn't really kind of have those like face value, like check boxes, it's very difficult too. So those men have been really talking about like how hard it is and how superficial women have gotten and how, they're vying for the attention of a woman who's vying for the attention of a guy who's dating 12 other women. And it's like, (laughs) why am I, why is this happening? So that to be said, it's like, I think it's important in my book to note that I spent two pages complaining or like addressing what the issues are. And then 300 other pages talking about strategy and what next. Mm. So were you motivated? Sorry to interrupt. Were you motivated by that climate, the dating climate to write the book? Yes, for sure. I was motivated by the responses I was getting from people about the dating climate. Mm. I was motivated by the like, well, it's shit. Well, it's trash. This is trash. This is hard. Like, this is awful. Like, I have a friend of mine who was like, dating is awful in LA. It's like, there's like, you know, in the greater Los Angeles area, there's like millions and millions of people. So I'm like, all of them are awful and you're great. Like, that statistically Mm -hmm. seems nuts, right? So maybe you're just bad at dating. And that's not a knock against you. That's a call to action for you. So I was really motivated by people's lack of optimism um, and sort of like the throw in the towel attitude as a result of the landscape rather than being like, okay, this is what it is. Let me figure out how I can conquer this based on what my strengths are. Mm, I love that. Take control, take responsibility. Yes. From your what, lips to the heavens. What just one one point there. Wouldn't you say that there are just as many unswipable women as men? I would no. I think that women have a lot more advantages. I mean, like the swipe culture is is face value, right? I think women have a lot more opportunities to change their biological mm. oh, bingo card. Mm. I see what you're saying. No? Oh, that's okay. true. Oh, in socially acceptable ways. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see what you're yes. saying. Yeah. yeah, that's a good no, point. No, she's making a great it's point. True. Yeah. Men can lie about their height too, I guess. <laughs> right. I, but you know what I, I mean? Like, I always like yeah. to lie down. If your photos like, are wow, heavily so filtered, tall. right? If you've mm-hmm. got tons of makeup and eyelashes and yeah. hair, like right, you're going right, to get right. a different response. Oh, so, so true. I think women have a lot more opportunities to like position themselves as being like face value marketable. That's a good mm. point. I, you know, I love the positive message there. You're right. It, it's not all just complaining. It's like, this is the way it is now. This is the dating climate. You can't now pretend that we're going to go back 15 years and suddenly dating apps are not going to exist anymore. It's just not going to happen. No. So you might as well, like you said, know the job market you're entering. Shan Boudram, we're so thankful that you made time for us today. Thank you for so much for sharing your wisdom with us and just being so fun and cool. This was great. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I love to be great. I love being around great people. This was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for having me. And, and you have my number? DM me? Right. You need my address. You can send me gifts because you're a giver. So okay, let's set it okay, all up. Okay, we'll, we'll talk. We'll talk. Okay, thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye. <sighs> well, she was oh. every bit as fantastic. As I thought she might be. She's, I, now I know why she has such a successful podcast. I mean, she, her ability. Okay. I mean, this is a talent. I just have to say this as we are podcast hosts, but I often marvel at solo podcast hosts. Yeah. Because, yeah, they'll have guests on. She has guests on all the time. She's all on her own. Yeah. There is this element of just being on your own and being able to fill the space, but not just with nonsense and not with likes and ums, which no one wants to listen to. Her ability to carry a train of thought and answer every single thing you just asked. Oh, my God. It was, I mean, I really did sit up a little taller in my chair. I was like, ooh. Well, I felt like I wanted to keep going. I was like, oh, this is easy. Yeah. This can keep going. Well, it's dangerous when you have a guest like Shan because you just want to keep talking to them forever. (laughs) Yeah. I just felt like at the end, I was like, we're not done yet. Yeah. Yeah. I did have more questions for her, but I wanted to respect her time. And, you know, rightfully, I wanted to hover a lot on the sexual incompatibility yeah. sort of the libido difference thing and i'm glad we did but there was there were so many things i wanted to talk about but she was so wonderful great advice i mm. loved that she talked about the turn on triggers 
I, di- I didn't really know what she was going to say to that. And we have gotten questions about this over the years. And I'm always sort of like, I guess the more you have, the more you'll want. Like, I'm not really sure what advice to give. I'm not an expert. And so to hear her say that, that there is some truth in that was kind of validating, but also get specific. What actually turns you on? And also, I love the advice on you're not going to have much success approaching what's supposed to be a fun, sexy topic like it's, I don't know, a business meeting. Yeah, I feel like if... I were to have somebody coaching us like while we're about to have sex and during and after, yeah. I would want her in the room. Yeah, yeah. No, she definitely seems to know her stuff. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't mean that in a weird way. No. <laughs> I mean, she's also no, very no, attractive. I, know, I, mean, I can it could tell. Work. It could I work can, that way I too. Can, you know, she was talking about gifts and yeah. you're like, you like to receive <laughs> You developed a small crush on Shan Goodrum, I mean, and look, I respect I'll, I'll it because I think I'm in the honest. same boat. Yeah, I mean, I yeah. think she's so stunning. She's yeah. got these like green eyes. She's when slow. I first saw her, Come I was on. like, <gasps> I was, I was, I was blushing. I couldn't help <laughs> myself. I'm a man. We're very simple. <laughs> I also liked her mostly positive. Out- Actually, it was entirely positive given the circumstances outlook on the dating climate. Yeah, you can sort of bemoan it, which I feel like we often do. <laughs> Yeah. Or you could just, it's a classic. If you can't beat him, join him. Yeah. Love it or hate it. You might as well just join him. You don't have a choice. Yes. If you live in the ocean, that's your your home. Don't complain about swimming. Mm. (laughs) I don't know if that works, but you know what I mean? It it didn't work. It was broader than what I typically expect of your analogies. It was a low level. It was like like fast food analogy. Yeah. yeah, But that's okay. Yeah. Yeah, She was pretty much like, okay, this is the way it is. What are you going to do about it? Everyone's in the same boat. At least everyone... Yeah, Every she actually came through like in the defense of men because we often think that men are just, yeah. you know, fine. I, I agree with her. I think that if you don't have necessarily the look mm-hmm. and it's not like women aren't picky. I think it's a myth that guys are the only ones who are looking for, you know, a pretty girl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do think, though, that swipe culture does work in the favor of men who maybe are sort of on the cusp of being that, you know, look that every woman wants, but who have no game. Right. It's almost like they don't need game as much because they have the look. That's the niche that's really benefiting. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Do you like that she thought you were so tall? I I didn't know. I was very uncomfortable. (laughs) I was getting more and more uncomfortable. I mean, yeah, you're not short, but. Yeah, I mean, you know. You're not tall either. (laughs) I'm really susceptible to compliments. (laughs) That and cooking right to my heart. Oh, my God. That's so funny. I'm not susceptible to compliments. Have you noticed that? Well, I get very uncomfortable, but I also like it. Oh, you kind of, you're like. Yeah, I'm uncomfortable with how much I like it. Oh, Oh, it makes me so uncomfortable. Well, it's nice. It's the most, it's a delightful discomfort. Oh yeah. For me, I'm almost like mayday, mayday. How do I turn this around and like compliment you instead? Right. Well, you've probably gotten more than me. I mean, there's no question that if you make it a number, you've gotten a way higher amount of uh, compliments Uh, on your looks than I have. Oh, I don't, I wasn't really talking about looks, but I mean, maybe in the online world, just because that's what people focus on. But I feel like it doesn't even, I don't like I, I actually prefer to be valued for right. what I have to say. And that's the other side of the coin. Yeah, right? exactly. I prefer to be valued purely based on looks. <laughs> <laughs> there was something she touched on in the book that I do want to bring up. It didn't come up in this conversation, but she talked about agreeableness. Yeah. And I, this is sort of off topic for what we talked about today with libidos and everything. But she said, agreeableness is the number one trait that determines the success of long-term relationships. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. When I read that, I... It's, it was a real mic drop. I mean, there were so many mic drops in her book. It's fabulous. Highly recommend. But that really stuck out to me because of its simplicity yeah. and how underrated I think that is. The further away you are from walking on eggshells in a relationship, the stronger that relationship is going to be, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. No one wants to ever come close to an eggshell. Yeah. And that's why I think it's important for some people to realize if they are the eggshell. Yeah. If they're the ones who are, you know. Yeah. Anyway, just, that was just some food yeah. for thought at who's the tail end the of eggs? this. <laughs> and who's walking on them? <laughs> for some reason, when I think of that, I always think of Easter. Did you ever decorate any? I know you're Jewish. I did. But... I mean, I did a lot of non-Jewish holiday things. But did yeah, I did when I was a little kid. I mean, it's not fair as a Jewish kid in like elementary, like you're in like third grade and Easter and Christmas comes around. There's like Santa Claus and Christmas trees and everyone's getting presents and there's <laughs> Easter. They're painting eggs and bunny rabbits and candies. <laughs> It's not fair. Well, I had a dreidel and like a 
like a whole, Yom Kippur, it's like literally nine hours in a synagogue with, you know, rabbi. It's just not fair. It's lopsided. Okay, so you did decorate uh, I did, but, but a very young age. I would give anything to see you as a little boy, like to spend one day with I you as a little boy. I would do the same. With yourself? Yeah. No. <laughs> Can you imagine? I mean, I would do that too. I'd be into that too. Yeah. Can you imagine being with your Oh my little... God. If I spent time with myself as a little girl, I'd be like, you got this. Oh yeah. <laughs> I be... would be so encouraging. Oh my God. Be whatever you want to be. Everything. I have sh- so many lessons to teach you. Yeah, amazing shit in your pants. <laughs> amazing. Shit in your pants. Yeah. That's your takeaway. No, I'm saying everything I did, I would be like, you're great. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah. That- Oh, oh, wow. I took that in a dark direction. Yeah. Oh. Because that means that, that you didn't get told that everything, including shitting in your pants that you did was great. I mean, now I think about it, maybe encouraging shitting in my pants wouldn't be good at that age. <laughs> but my point is, yes, I agree with you. I would be very encouraging. It would be adorable. But I would do anything to be with little Charlene. I mean, why wouldn't I? It's ridiculous. <laughs> We've really gotten off topic considering we're talking about sexual incompatibility. Oh, yeah. no, oh God. <laughs> No. Okay. Clean my eyes. Yeah, back on track. All right. Shan Boudram, she was fantastic. Amazing. So again, her book was The Game of Desire. It's good stuff. And Andy, I think that's a wrap. It is. For this hot topic. So it's very hot. hot. It was hot. And topical. And she asked us questions about her sex life. I was like, this Yeah, is- she turned it on. <laughs> I was like, no, 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 no. I got shy. I was yeah, like, oh. Yeah. yeah. You're not in that mode. Oh, oh. You're in like podcast mode you're not in interview mode yeah and also we i don't know we don't like to get too specific about our sex lives i don't know we're a little like yeah. private that way I mean, but so she was asking thing. us stuff i was like oh <laughs> I, I don't have pearls to clutch <laughs> if you enjoyed what you heard today you know what we will ask of you and that is to like subscribe hit the notification bell follow us on instagram and tiktok leave us apple and spotify podcast ratings and reviews and generally do all of the things that you would do to support a podcast that you so enjoy thank you so much for tuning in and we'll see you next time on dear shandy bye-bye Show. Sure.